0: Welcome back to Collateral Banter, episode 53. I am recording this episode on February 3rd, 2020. What day is today? First day, the Democratic primaries in Iowa. And of course, I can predict what will happen. You know, I have that special ability here in Collateral Banter. I know the future, I understand the future, and I know what will happen. Tonight feels like it's been a big surge. For Bernie Sanders, his candidacy is on the rise, it seems, and this has scared a couple people. I think the people are in the Democratic establishment. I think the anti-establishment fervor is capturing many Democrats. Bernie ran four years ago. He's running again, and it seems likely that he will win Iowa caucus. If he does not end up in first place. Be prepared for the first place winner to declare victory because the expectations have been set that Bernie Sanders would win Iowa and would win Iowa easily. So it's very interesting to see what will happen. My prediction is that Bernie Sanders will win. I think Joe Biden finishes second and third place will be Pete Buttigieg. And then fourth will be Warren And Amy Klobuchar finishes fifth. That is is my guess. I hope to get this episode out tonight as the returns come in. I'm recording at 525 in the afternoon here on February 3rd. And uh, we'll see what happens. Again, what are we, eight days away until New Hampshire? That should be interesting. Bernie will be expected to win New Hampshire. I don't think there's any question about that. The fact that he's from the nearby state of Vermont, that borders New Hampshire, people know him from New Hampshire. The expectations will be, especially if Bernie does well in Iowa, that he would win New Hampshire. But who knows? Because the days between Iowa and New Hampshire, the media will be running stories and stories about who's up, who's down, what's really going on. There will be additional scrutiny. So the way I'm gonna describe this to people, both in the United States and everywhere else around the world is if if Bernie is in fact the first place uh, winner today, then you really are going to see the knives come out and start attacking him. You're going to start seeing videos. You're going to see this in overdrive, right? You're going to start seeing a concerted effort to knock Bernie down from first place, maybe down to second or third place. Everybody knows he's got the money to stay as long as he wants, but. It's going to be interesting to see how it's spun. Now, if he does not end up in first place, whoever ends up in first place will be the, the favorite for the establishment. I don't see anybody else doing it except maybe Biden, if you believe the polls, of course, I think the race will begin to shape out is you're going to see candidates start dropping out, maybe not immediately after Iowa, but certainly after New Hampshire, you're going to start seeing the field narrow. And uh, you know what? I I have to add that whatever opinion someone has today of Bernie Sanders, the Democratic National Committee decided last week, I believe, to change the rules, change the debate rules that would allow a candidate. So DNC decided to change the debate rules to get on stage. And what they said was originally that you needed a a certain number of small donors to your campaign. They recently relaxed or reduced or eliminated that rule. And everybody's saying that they did this so they could allow Michael Bloomberg on stage. Even if it's not true, the perception is that you're bending the rules to uh, allow another candidate who can self-finance the entire campaign primary and presidential campaign does not bode well for the eventual nominee if it is not Bernie Sanders. So I've been saying this in uh, earlier episodes that I think the favorite to win the presidency is Donald Trump, mainly because of the changes to technology and the ability to exploit those changes to mass communication. But secondly, I have seen internal divisions that haven't been healed. And for a very long time, people in the Democratic Party didn't want to talk about it first because of 2018 and the elections then. But then it's now, oh, we, we can't talk about those divisions. And and look, we, we should have had this conversation immediately after 2016, you know, about the future of the, what the Democratic Party is supposed to be. Is it going to be this more progressive working class party or is it supposed to be more of this moderate centrist party influenced by billionaire and money interests? That's that's ultimately. People don't like those labels, but that those are the two that I understand it to be. It's tough. It's tough to see how, how that can be reconciled. And of course, Bernie will support the nominee because he will be under intense pressure to do so. But I don't know if it goes the other way around. I don't see the money to interest and the centrist candidates going out and supporting Bernie Sanders if he wins the nomination. They'll say they do, but I've already seen many, many of these figures and I'm not just talking about Hillary Clinton but other figures unsure if they will support Bernie Sanders if he wins the nomination which opens up the possibility of a third-party candidate and maybe that's a Michael Bloomberg or some billionaire running it'll be interesting to see I think this moderate centrist you know if they can't knock Bernie out they'll try to co-opt him I think co-opting Bernie is going to be difficult but the truth is they shouldn't really panic at all really because even if Bernie were to run And even if Bernie were to defeat Donald Trump in an election, let's just say that were to happen, doesn't mean that Bernie is going to get everything he wants. As I've been trying to say in almost all the episodes I do on the U.S. election, you're elected president. You don't immediately, it doesn't come with 60 senators in the Senate, okay? And all of the internal divisions that definitely exist in the Democratic Party, maybe less so in the Republican Party today. But you don't just get in there and just be like, I'm going to write all the rules. We're going to get Medicare for all first day. Yeah, right. It's not how it's going to work. And you know you're not going to get 60 senators. You can't even get the majority. Well, you can get maybe 40 Democratic senators, maybe 35. Who knows? And you're not going to get any Republican senator. So it's really not, in my opinion, very effective to freak out, as I think the centrists have. But I think the other freak out is they don't want Donald Trump to be in power for four years. And I agree, because if he is in power for four years and the country takes... Another four years of this, uh, as I've said, the democratic institutions, the, the things that, the rule of law, the courts, who knows Trump going after his political opponents trying to gain an advantage in using the presidential office to do so as i said it was most likely that donald trump had asked the ukrainians to start the investigation and now there are emails i saw that confirmed this that they knew lamar alexander said he did something improper was the language he used but he wouldn't go as so far as to call witnesses to bring about impeachment they said no let the american people decide you know what i heard the same thing in 2016 right it was like Oh, uh, about the Supreme Court choice that Obama had, right? Well, we'll let the American people decide. And if they elect a Democrat, they'll get a Democrat in the Supreme Court. So yeah, there you have it, folks. That's what's going on. But on today's episode, I also wanted to share an article that I read by Masha Gensen. She wrote an article, the New York Review of Books, and it's called Autocracy Rules for Survival. Now, she has written a lot is essentially a civil society figure posing sort of uh, opposing authoritarianism in Russia during Putin's time. She's written a book. um, So a lot of people have talked about her in recent years. You know, since the theme of this podcast is about authoritarianism, I was like, whoa, rules for survival. And so I was going through this last weekend. I just wanted to share some of these because I found them really to be interesting, especially if, as I'm already freaking out that Donald Trump will win in November. It's good rules to know and to have. Before I even say the rules, I have to add that she quotes Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama, the tone they had, and critiques it essentially as they don't really fully grasp or appreciate what kind of risk Donald Trump opposes uh, to American democracy. And the, I think the fact that she's been battling Putin and other autocracies around the world helps her see this. So that gives her this credibility. And uh, she quotes from the speech that Obama and Clinton gave, which were very civil, very moderate, centrist, trying to be like, we need to give the president space. we got to be cheering for him. You know, all these nice things that politicians often give because they thought they could normalize Trump. Well, it's been four years. I I don't think you can normalize Trump. Okay, I don't I don't see the normalization happen. So he's not normal. Donald Trump is not a normal president. Guess what? That goes into the first rule. The first rule is believe the autocrat. She writes, he means what he says. Truthfully, if you go back to my very first podcast, episode one, I talk about this because even somebody as the New York Times publisher wrote about Donald Trump and, and, and still trying to make sense of him and trying to normalize his uh, presidency or the things he he was saying because they're trying to compare him to things they know, and it doesn't work because he's not trying to be a normal president. He's not a normal president. In fact, he he scoffs and laughs at the normal presidency. You've seen him do this, and people don't realize that he's he's telling the truth. He's telling his truth, his vision, as odious as you can see it and, and believe it. It's like... Yeah, he, he really believes the things he says. He could totally go and do a rally and be bored. He likes the spectacle. He embraces the spectacle. The absurd things he says that the next day the media critiques, he loves it. He he adores it. He knows what he's doing, and he means what he says. I just have to say that that's rule number one. I felt it. People should realize that when he says things, he really believes those things. He really says it. And sometimes he'll say many, many things all at the same time to confuse people. Because then you don't exactly know where he's going with that or what he plans on doing. You know, when he talks about jailing opponents, he, he's not joking, okay? He, he would open an investigation if he can. And you know what? I, I would not be surprised if he says this about Joe Biden and the corruption, and he just makes up his own reality, right? If it has evidence or not, it doesn't matter. That's, that's rule number one that we shouldn't forget. And rule number two, do not be taken in by small signs of normality. America is in rule number two right now, right? I hear from so many people that like, well, look, the stock market is is up at record levels and the economy is still growing and we have the lowest unemployment. It's all of these things, right? Which by the way, when he inherited, we were already on this path and trajectory, but look up the Labor Department of Labor statistics on unemployment and many things. They were already coming down significantly, okay? But fine they have continued there is no doubt about that the signs of normalcy is is people are in that normal bubble right they're like look he might not be a normal president but on my my daily life things are better lower taxes and stock market is up and i'm rich and it's like why would i want to change that right and if trump wins re-election Regardless of all the things that are said about him and all the ridiculous things that happen in campaign, blah, blah, blah. It is that the feeling of normalcy or that things are better than normal, slightly better than normal, that will elevate him back to the presidency. Right. So people need to realize that. And uh, even when he makes sort of normal gestures and there was maybe one a State of the Union speech that he gave where people felt like he was a normal president. You you know, all of these pundits write about him, write about it. Clearly trying to normalize something that will never really be normal and doesn't plan on being normal, doesn't want to be normal. There is no normalcy with Donald Trump, okay? Third rule, institutions will not save you. And I thought that was really interesting. And the the reason for institutions not saving you, that Gessen writes... And this is really good. It writes, many of these institutions are enshrined in political culture rather than in law. And all of them, including the ones enshrined in law, depend on good faith of all actors who fulfill their purpose and uphold the constitution, right? If in a two-party system, when both parties share a certain common interest, are willing to work together, have sort of a civil... Political culture, right? When the political parties have a civil political culture and are willing to kind of agree not to violate the rules and, and norms, people are violating the rules and norms. If those things went out the window, right? It depends on if you can gain a political advantage for it. Why would you? Why would you care about political culture, right? If you could advance your political interests, why would you give in to respecting? A uh, po- uh, democratic culture of civility and negotiation, right? They're like, they wouldn't, so why are you? That's how these, this sort of normalcy that we've had because the political actors were willing to cooperate, they're not cooperating anymore. And so you're beginning to see that the institutions are are struggling to adapt, right? You've seen this now in many ways, but mainly in this impeachment process where you, you can't hold evidence, you can't present evidence with testimony and, and evidence in a trial, again, you hold all the, the Republicans hold the cards in the Senate, so they haven't wanted to. So that is going to be a serious problem that I don't think we fix so easily. And it is a troubling sign. It is a troubling sign because we really need more parties. I think for for this democracy to function, I think we need four uh, sort of a green progressive party, the Democrats, Republicans, and then some sort of libertarian uh, party something to that effect. I don't want to say that we just need just those four. Maybe we have five, but we need more radical parties doing different things. Okay. Rule number four, only six. She writes, be outraged. If you follow one and believe what the autocratic elect is saying, you will not be surprised. You know, this one is interesting. and made me think when I read that of Donald Trump, um, when he did the Muslim ban and you saw people going to the airports and protesting that you saw there signs of this sort of civil society, democracy, the women's march and protests. And, and you've seen be outraged, right? Take it out to the streets and really go out and push that. They went through the courts. And, of course, the Supreme Court upheld it. And now he's actually this week began to expand it to the what they, I've read as the African ban, trying to ban from African Nigeria of all countries. Like, what? Doesn't even make any sense. I don't know where Nigeria came in from that. It just made no sense whatsoever. But... Again, be out at this point to make up countries they don't care. It just made no sense to me. Nigeria has 200 million people. We're we really going to start banning Nigerians from coming. She writes, you know, people need to be outraged. And I think we've reached a cynical phase in this. And I think um, maybe this is my pessimism coming through. And I try not to be too pessimistic. I feel like that, that sort of initial outrage and anger because it's been so overwhelming and the news cycle and the bombardments and it feels like every day this keeps happening over and over and over again, that it's hard to be outraged because you would feel outraged almost every day if you're following the news too closely. People's mental health and stability, it's impossible to stay outraged. So I don't know, maybe I would critique that. It's like be outraged as much as you can without losing your mind. is is my answer to that I get it that people might call people hysterical if they're outraged all the time, but beyond Trump, it's like this period of for democracy we need people to be outraged by what is going on and what they see because you know they say it's not normal and all of these things. Rule number five: don't make compromises that is interesting. you know you've seen donald trump he's 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 willing to attack his political foes in the Republican party, Ted Cruz, right and Mitt Romney those are the two more prominent figures that I remember and they've they've come back into the fold Mitt Romney less so Mitt Romney feels like he has space now that he's been elected senator and has a six-year term he probably does have some space and he's in Utah and the Mormons aren't entirely fond of Donald Trump I remember he struggled in Utah I think he won it but uh during the primary he won in the primary but he struggled more than more than he expected I think And uh, there are pockets of the country that don't see this Donald Trump figure as normal. But again, he brings people in. After he defeats them, he kind of brings them in and uses them to his advantage. He did it with Ted Cruz, and he talked about Ted Cruz's wife. He talked about Ted Cruz being the Zodiac. I mean, Ted Cruz's father killed somebody and facts didn't matter at that point it was just sort of attack your attack your enemy say whatever it takes to defeat them but now ted cruz loves him he's done it with lindsey graham as well right right lindsey graham said donald trump would never be president he called them bunch of names now he loves the guy now he's best friends with him he just didn't see the vision that donald trump did but donald trump has shown the way and he's loving donald trump every moment of it And um, again, I I have thought about this, but I might as well ask this now is, what does it mean if a party has become, as Joe Walsh, I think said, is used to be a Republican or or is part of the Republican Party and is trying to unseat Trump is, what happened, he called his party a cult. Joe Walsh called the Republican Party a cult. So if that's true, if he's calling his party a cult, then what does it mean for democracy if we have a two-party state? If we have a two-party state, And you're calling one of the two parties a cult. What does that mean? What does that say? I don't know what to tell you about that because it's not functional. The democracy is not functional, okay, if one party is a cult. If one party is a cult and you have a two-party system, democracy is not functional because essentially it's saying you're a one-party state. The other party is a cult, and it's become fanatics, and it's not functional. So then the true crisis of America is so beyond Donald Trump. It's the crisis of a country that can't function because it's a two-party system that manipulates and controls the party, that controls the political process, and one party has gone off the deep end rails, and nobody cares. So we kind of linger on, and we just kind of trudge through. So, yeah, it's a problem. So that was rule number five, don't make compromises. The last rule she has here is remember the future. That's probably the most hopeful of all the rules. <laughs> and so I thought I'd include that is to say nothing lasts forever. Donald Trump certainly will not. This is no permanent vision. And, and I think that that's actually a really good rule to end it on is to think about like, you know what, this, this may end. This may end in November 2020 or it will end in November 2024. But my fear is if it ends in 2024, America will be a very different country than it was back in 2016. And it's not just the judges, it's not just the laws, but it will be a different country. And you kind of just have to fear of, of what is, in fact, happening to sort of the domestic, the democracy of the country and the institutions that democracy relies upon. It's a troubling time. It's a, It feels like it's in a disintegration. Yeah, disintegration. That's what it feels like. It feels like things are disintegrating all around. And there is very little we can do to stop it. But that was Masha Gessen, this article. I hope she does a follow-up. But I wanted to share it. I read it. I enjoyed it. And uh, it fits into this theme for the podcast. So I will continue on. I will bring back um, some more guests. And that's episode 53 of Collateral Banter. Thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed this episode, take care.